This podcast is about Marxism. What is Marxism? You probably already know, but the definition may be that it is the belief that the business owner is exploiting the workers, to put it in simplest terms. And the Marxists believe that in order to get rid of this kind of injustice in any society, the workers have to take over and run the economy. And when you project from there, run the society as well. Because if you're a worker and you run the businesses, to keep that order, you have to also run the society. In other words, you have to make political changes. But unfortunately, Marxism has really been a failure wherever it has been tried. It was first tried on a mass scale, of course, following the Russian Revolution in 1917, when Lenin and the Bolshevik Party would ultimately take over from the Tsars ruling Russia. And Lenin did promise that the workers in Russia, or really the peasants, would be given land. And uh, their exploitation by the workers would be over. But really, and this has been mentioned many times in history books, that Russia at that time did not really have any real industrial development to follow the plan as laid out by Karl Marx for his socialist revolution. He believed that first a society must have industry, a factory, where a bunch of workers are loaded into a factory and you have a few managers or just one owner perhaps, And therein lies the state of exploitation that has to be cured. The trouble is that in Russia in 1917, there was very little industrialization. Russia was just a poor society with a peasant class, an intelligentsia class, And really not much room in between. There was no really no real factories operating in Russia at the time. But Lenin really didn't care about that. His idea was that he could bypass that step and just transform Russia from a peasant state really into a communist workers run state. But unfortunately, he believed that that kind of state was perhaps years or decades in the future. And that would be opposed by any of the current interests operating in Russia. In other words, if he were to put up to the people a vote on whether 
they would approve a communist economy and it would turn out political system. He believes that the voters would reject it because they would be subject to current pressures by dominant elites in the Russian society. Which at that time would probably be the intelligentsia, members of the Tsar's military, and other people holding advantages. His idea was that you had to overcome that kind of influence by having a small select group of intellectuals or activists like the Bolsheviks. And he believed that they would have the best interest in the whole society at heart. And so they would not have to, or they should not go through any kind of political process to put them in power. And unfortunately, the ancient Greek philosopher Plato pretty much believed the same thing. He believed that, as he outlined in his dialogue, The Republic, he believed that the ideal society would be run by an enlightened group of individuals, which he called philosopher kings. And he believed that because of their disinterestedness, disinterestedness, their separate, separateness from any kind of interest or political pressure from, from society, they would naturally do what is best for the society as a whole. But the problem with that, and not many people have pointed this out, is that even selecting some kind of philosopher kings is itself a political process. In other words, who would pick them? How do you select the people that would pick the philosopher kings? That in itself becomes an operation of politics. So Plato, like Karl Marx, just did not understand the, the power of human group dynamics. In other words, the world is not static with just separate atomistic individuals running around. They're all subject to group behavior. There's leaders and followers, and there's a certain dynamic that goes on back and forth. Why are leaders selected? Uh, why do people follow them? These are all questions that Karl Marx or even Plato did not really look at. And Karl Marx, as I said, failed to see this, this, uh, the power of human group behavior in human society. And he did, Karl Marx, the founder of Marxism, did not ever explain how the people in power put the current capitalist system in place anyway. In other words, why did people let this happen if it was an exploitative system? And if these individuals were power enough to put a, a business in place and have workers almost forced to work for them, how is anybody going to become more powerful to, over, to take them?
as Jesus said in one or perhaps many of the Gospels, that how can you overtake the goods in the house of a strong man if, if you don't first overcome the strong man? <clears throat> and Marx did not answer the question whether this is just natural human nature for a society to develop where you have a few exploiting the many. Because it has to be just an exercise in human group dynamics because the working class, even today in America or anywhere, outnumber the few business owners. Why don't the many overtake the few? Because each individual worker believes he is the one that's going to make it and he wants to curry favor with the boss. As Margaret Thatcher once said, there is no real human group, it's just a bunch of individuals. So there you're getting closer at the idea that, for example, in America, people without college degrees are 75% of the population. Then why are they voting for for the members of the 25% who really don't have their interests at mind and heart. So it comes down to each of these people in the working class believes that, well, the educator is smarter than they are and, uh, you know, they should got to have to defer. Not only that, there's huge group pressure on them to defer. Because if they get too far out, even in their own class, the working class, there will be pressure put upon them to fall back in line. But what I'm getting at here, as you can see, it's all a function of human group dynamics, relationships, how do people interact? Too often we can look at leaders and followers, say China, for example, and believe that somehow these leaders are just put there somehow by magic. That it's not some kind of a organic process where you know, the Chinese people may want it like that, number one. Number two, that what is the interactions that puts this, perhaps this Xi character right now, who's the premier of, of China, or the People's Republic of China, what has put him in power? People are helping him. I don't know how many issues of Foreign Affairs magazine Well, in every issue of the Foreign Affairs magazine in America, they always have an article about hopefully the Chinese people will get smart and uh, develop a democracy like we have in America. They're just missing the point that, and I've talked to many Chinese students here and others, just regular people, They say the Chinese people want the system like that. Most Chinese do not like the dissidents that they have in their country. So when you read an article like Foreign Affairs, 
you know, like I say, it's in every issue, basically, that uh, hopefully this economic power that they're developing will, will, will create a democracy there. They have just a misunderstanding of what happens in human culture and just in China culture specifically. And so Marxism has been basically a failure in Russia, China, Cuba. They've had some mild successes, mainly in providing some security for people, even though their lives are kind of drab. People, when the wall fell in Germany, I guess it was 1991, the people in what was the former East Germany really did miss the certain amount of security they had with the state, even though, of course, their freedom was limited and there was no competing parties to the Marxist or Communist parties. And the same effect was had in Russia, where some people had nostalgia for the old regime, including Mr. Putin, who's in power now in Russia. He he thought it was his mission to restore Russia to the world power it, it was once was before the collapse of the communist empire around 1991. But Marx, as I said earlier, just did not understand human nature and why human society has developed as it has. He believed, sort of like Jean-Jacques Rousseau, the French philosopher, that somehow man was in a better state before society developed, and specifically here, before the economic order developed. That can be severely questioned. For one thing, the noble savages only really lived for maybe 30 years. And now in many countries in the world, it is above 80 years, even though it is declining recent years because of the coronavirus situation. But then again, those are just averages But it all asks the question, what would be the ideal state for humans? Has a, has a state like that ever existed? How would people relate to each other? And Karl Marx never did answer that question. He talked about getting rid of economic exploitation of the working class from the capitalist owners. But in his view, when all exploitation was ended, what would be the daily interactions of people in society be like? Who would run the businesses? Who would be the workers? And why? Who would pick them? In the workers' paradise, are all the people the managers? 
And we saw with the founding and the development of the Bolshevik state in Russia, well, first, after, after the Bolsheviks took over in St. Petersburg in 1917, there was a civil war for four or five years among the less idealistic communists called the Mensheviks, the Reds and the Whites, as illustrated in the movie Dr. Zhivago. And even within the Bolsheviks, there was great disagreements among Lenin, Trotsky, and Stalin, for example, and others. So if the workers in that so-called glorious working class can get along, what are we going to do? But there is just a belief that the communist, I mean the capitalist system, with all its, all its flaws, might be in touch, more in touch with human nature because there's one fact about human nature that, I mean the capitalist system, that the human nature, I mean that capitalism illustrates an aspect about human nature such as people like to acquire more things. And the promise of capitalism is that people can make money and more money if they want. But the idea is if you want to go, if you were going to build that better society, you would probably have to take away that desire of people for more. But that is that possible? Is that within human nature for a person to say live on a certain fixed income? Uh and not desire more economic. So it's a tough question. But then you have flaws in the capitalist system as well. So what would be the answer? But the problem, I, I think, in many, with many intellectuals in the 19th and 20th century, <coughs> is that they believe that Marxism was the only alternative to capitalism. Like to solve the problems of capitalism, unemployment, um, child poverty, uh, pollution, the only way was to have the workers take over. But there might be, there's going to have to be a different way Because we have to remember, capitalists and the workers are both people. And they're prone to exploitation. So if the workers did take over, who would stop them from exploiting people? So that is what has ha- had happened. And the Marxists, in order to keep their order under control, had to get political control of the economy so that people did not differ with their vision of what was going on in the world, in the, in, the, in their economies. But again, as Lenin had said, that he, he believed or tried to get people to believe that he was doing it for the good of Russia, like eventually there would be established that democratic state at the end of history. <clears throat> And he would call it in his term democratic centralism where uh, 
powers put in a few, but directed for the good of society. This is the Politburo in Russia, and where a few people attempt to control the economy. And this kind of vision was um, criticized perhaps most famously by Frederick Hayek in his book called The Road to Serfdom, where he believed that any socialistic economy was impossible because humans cannot anticipate all the kind of permutations and events that go on in any kind of economic system. In other words, economic planning was doomed to fail. But then I like to point out as the current model, of course, is the European social state, where you have capitalism and pretty competitive capitalism, but it is extremely softened by a strong safety nets. And people complain about socialism that, you know, uh, people aren't making money, but uh, there are plenty of $3,000 night hotel rooms available in Paris. Plenty of rich people in France. But they have a high degree of social welfare programs and state control of the highest in continental Europe. So what do you do at the end? The end is to, you have to create a society that is best for humans, where everybody can live a good life. And how do you do that? I don't know completely, and nobody else does, so far in history probably. But we have to be working on that question. But I think that just to divide the world into capitalists and Marxists, I think it misses a lot because... Uh, that battle has not really solved world problems. That was the main battle going on in after 1946 in the Western world, and perhaps around the world, when, when China chimed in. And still things did not improve in a lot of ways for these countries. And now we have a move in a lot of the world for right-wing regimes or, or sort of uh, state-controlled economies like China where it is the belief that among the Chinese leadership that the people are willing to give up personal freedoms in exchange for economic goods. But then again, as I said earlier, it may be the belief that the Chinese people want their country that way and they don't see that their lives as being deprived of freedom. As we constantly hear in Western media here, like I said, and particularly in Foreign Affairs magazine, which is considered a <coughs> an elite publication in America and around the world. But the bottom line is human rights. Uh, how do we get rid of any kind of exploitation and just value each human life uh, as being as valuable, valuable as anybody else's. 
But here, particularly in America, we have this idea that uh, for you to get, live a good life, you have to be beating somebody else at the game, a sport, or in business. We don't have a vision where everybody can win at a certain level. And for history to stop, that would have to happen. And I believe humans have the intelligence to devise some kind of plan like that. But then again, I could be wrong. Uh, there might be drives in the human mind and in, like I said, human culture, human group dynamics that can forever prevent that. As long as we're in the current human type of uh, existential state. And to get away from that, we would have to become computers or evolve into some kind of immortal beings where we don't have these kind of drives. Uh, where we don't face competition. That is what really drives all human problems. If people feel they are secure, they do not strike out against other humans. And for a human to live forever or not have to worry about eating food or other things, uh, they could live in a state of bliss. But is that possible now or in the future? These are deep questions that have to be asked. But Marxism is not the answer. So if you're intellectual, concerned about creating a better world, you do not automatically have to turn to Marxism as a way of reforming the capitalist order. There has to be a more humane middle ground. But read my book on this subject. It's available on Amazon and Audible. A liberal criticizes Marxist theory. I explain my ideas further a bit in there. But thank you for listening.